Happy Easter. What a wonderful day in the life of the Christians and the life of the church. <clears throat> Our scripture reading this morning is coming from the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 1 through 12. <coughs> Excuse me. I invite you to hear the voice of God speaking to us through these words of Holy Scripture. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, bringing the fragrant spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know what to make of this. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming, bright clothing. The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here. He has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. When they had returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But their words struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe the women. But Peter ran to the tomb when he bent over to look inside he saw only the linen cloth. Then he returned home, wondering what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> the women in our story today are in utter shock. They can't understand what is happening. I can only imagine them in the wee hours of the morning before the sun has come up, making the journey to the tomb, because Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation for Passover, they needed to be done with these things before sundown. So Jesus' body was taken off the cross, wrapped in linen, and put in a tomb. And now they must go back to prepare the body for the long burial, putting fragrant spices in between the wrappings of the linen to cover part of the smell. I can only imagine that as they went, they talked about what had happened about all the things Jesus had done and that they had seen. The people healed, the lame walking, the deaf hearing, the blind seeing, but also about that horrible, horrible death. I can only imagine that they talk about what could have been, what should have been. I can almost imagine their heartbreak and their anguish as they go. And then they arrive, they arrive at the tomb, and the big stone is rolled away. Has some good Samaritan come and made their task a little easier? But then when they get in there, there is no body. Where is the body? Where has he gone? And they begin to realize there will be no sacred ritual to finally say goodbye. And there they stand, clinging to their fragrant spices, wondering what in the world is happening. Yet another thing that they cannot understand. All of their spices are now useless. As useless it must seem as the years they have spent following Jesus, the one who was the Messiah. There was so much that was supposed to have happened. 
There was such hope. There was such life. There was such promise. And it ended on a cross. There was no body over which to say their laments and their prayers. Those ancient words of lament, of sorrow, would go unsaid. And I can only imagine the heartbreak with which they stand there in the darkness. And then they're not alone. All of a sudden, there are two men with them. We now know those men to be angels who have come to say to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? What an amazing question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And the two men go on to say, He's not here. He's risen. Don't you remember he talked about this? He told you this is what would happen. Death might take him, but he was only going to be able to hold him for a short period of time. For three short days. And today is day three. Remember. And the women do. They remember. Suddenly, all of the pieces of the puzzle come together and they are able to see the picture. All of the tumblers in the lock on their minds fall into place and the lock pops open and they are able to see, oh, this is what he was talking about. This is what he meant when he said those things that were so hard for us to hear and that we didn't understand. And then they're told to go. Go tell others what you've discovered. Go help them remember what Jesus has told you. But the response is mixed. The response to Jesus' ministry has always been mixed. All throughout the gospel, regardless which one of the four that you're reading, we see that people respond in different ways. Some believe and they follow. They become disciples. They commit their lives to following Christ and going the way that he is going. But they're also the ones who come for the show. They come for the healing spectacles. They come for the miraculous meals that multiply. They come to see the one who challenges the religious authorities and gets in a confrontation with them. Who does that? I'm going to go see that today. There are also those who come for the lesson. They like the parables, they like the stories, they like the teachings, the way he presents them in short ways that can be captured and memorized. They like it intellectually, but they are not able to take it into themselves, to commit their lives to those teachings. More interested in the gathering of knowledge than the living of a transformed life. And then there are those who openly oppose those who do not want him to succeed, either because he is not their idea of a Messiah. That's not what the Messiah is supposed to look like. He's not supposed to be born in Nazareth or in Bethlehem. He's not supposed to grow up in Nazareth. He's not supposed to be from Galilee of all places. Or they oppose him because what he teaches threatens their own issues of power and control. He's shaking up the status quo, and that cannot be tolerated. And even in the face of resurrection, that mixed response does not change. The women at the tomb are convinced. They believe, and they go to tell the others. 
But the disciples? The disciples respond a little bit differently. The disciples think the women have lost their mind. Stop this ridiculousness. This is not how things work. The dead don't live again. Buried bodies stay buried. The end is the end. When it's over, it's over. What are you talking about? Stop being ridiculous. Idle tales, Luke calls them. Utter nonsense. Women being women. Young people being naive. Older women who ought to know better being taken advantage of. They want to dismiss the testimony of those who say Christ is alive. But not all of them. Not all. There's Peter. Something begins to stir in Peter. He too remembers some things about Jesus. Begins to remember some things that Jesus has said. Luke doesn't tell us, but other gospel writers tell us that Peter and John began to run. They run for the tomb. They run toward opportunity. They run hope against hope that what the women have said is true. I can only imagine Peter all the way there going, please God, please God, please God, please God, let it be true. Please let it be true. We've staked our very lives on this. Please, please let it be true. But when he arrives at the tomb, all he sees is the linen cloth that the body should be wrapped in. There are no men. There are no dazzling white angels to answer the questions in his mind. He's just left, Luke tells us, to wonder. And he goes home. What now? What do we do now? Peter knows in his mind, he remembers Jesus saying, with humans, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. If he could raise the widow at Nain's son in the middle of the funeral procession, if he could raise Lazarus from the dead, if one who has been born blind can receive their sight, if the lame can walk, if a few loaves and fish can become enough to feed thousands of people, maybe, just maybe, this God of creation who called a man named Abraham out of all the people on earth and said, I'm going to bless you. And through your descendants, I will bless the whole world. We're going to do a different thing. Peter wonders. But he doesn't know what to do. So he goes home. He goes home to Capernaum. He goes back to fishing, which was his trade. Maybe he cannot just sit and ponder. I'm not real good at sitting still. Maybe he thinks better. Maybe he processes better when he uses his hand. He does what he knows to do until he knows what to do next. He does what he knows to do until he knows what to do next. The women insist that they are telling the truth. They're not making this up. They're not lying. And they continue to tell it. They will not be silenced and word begins to spread. And then Jesus begins showing up. Over the next 40 days, more than 500 people report seeing a living Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
Now, so far, I probably haven't said anything that you didn't already know. We knew the end of this story way back when we started our Lenten journey, didn't we? Six weeks ago when we came to Ash Wednesday and we entered this season of the church calendar, those who call ourselves followers of Christ already knew that resurrection was coming. When we gather on a Thursday night and remember Him washing disciples' feet and turning a Passover meal into communion, praying in a garden and being arrested, when we remember Him being beaten and crucified on a Friday, we already knew that Sunday was coming. And far too often, this magnificent love story gets lost in the familiarity. The details we already know. Some preacher's going to try to find some new and novel way to tell you what you've already heard every year. My friends, don't miss the miracle. The miracle of resurrection. You don't even have to be a Christian to know the claims on which we stake our very lives. And we do stake our lives on it. We believe in a Savior crucified, dead, and buried, raised on the third day. On this improbable, but not impossible, we stake our lives. And so we come on Easter Sunday and we raise our voices and we shout, Alleluia! Christ is risen! He is risen indeed! We sing familiar hymns. We pull out all the stops. We shout the acclamations. We decorate with flowers as a sign of new life and new possibilities. Beauty after the horrible events of Holy Week have unfolded. And after the final benediction, we tend to go our way. We go home. We go back into our lives, back into a world where death is still a reality. Heartbreak is still real. Crime is still awful. Violence still seems to pervade. We go back into a world where resurrection sounds like foolishness. Like idle tales and nonsense. We go back to lives surrounded by the death of circumstances. The death of relationships. The death of dreams and plans. The death of our bodies and other bodies through violence and disease. What difference What difference does resurrection really make to us today? How many of us struggle in a world of science and fact to even believe in such a thing as resurrection? Like the tales of women, resurrection seems foolish. Idle tales and utter nonsense from the panacea of religion, the opiate of the masses. And yet, it is on this that we stake our very lives. Not as a salesperson up front to convince you to give your money so we can live on it. Not so we can build beautiful mausoleums, so we can build beautiful sanctuaries in which to raise praises. Not so we can sit on the corner of 14th and Noble and say we are the people of Aniston first. We do it because Jesus lives. He lives. He lives in us. 
He lives through us to make a difference in the world around us. Because his life, his death, and his resurrection changed everything. Everything. Changed everything for those disciples. They gave their very lives for it. Tradition tells us that every one of the twelve, except one, dies. Killed, just as Jesus was, for having the gumption to talk about a different way of living, a different way of life, a different reality. Those disciples went on living right in the middle of a world where death was real and resurrection seemed impossible. They went right on living as Jesus told them to. Living lives of love and light and life. Declaring that we don't have to accept the way the world is today. That that was never how God wanted it. That God has better for us and better for this world. And if we'll quit messing it up, God has come to redeem it. To give us a more expansive life. To be a foretaste of a world where all is as it should be. Shalom. All is as it should be. A world that is run by love and justice. A world where every life, not just privileged lives, not just rich lives, not just white lives or middle class lives, but where every life is precious. Where everyone can experience the love and grace of a Savior. Where labor can be meaningful and fulfilling. But it wasn't without suffering. There will still be suffering until Christ comes again in final victory. We're still going to have the world around us, but we don't have to accept it. We can work against it. We call it the inbreaking kingdom of God. We can go to the world and say, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for meaning and purpose in the ways of the world? All of that, all of that only leads to death, to an end. The two inevitables of life, taxes and death, there's more than that. There's so much more than that. We spend our lives toiling and saving only to lose it when an investment goes bad. We sell our lives and our mental health to get ahead, to be successful, only to lose our physical health or our partner before we have the opportunity to really enjoy it. And too often we reach the twilight of our life or that blessed middle age, midlife crisis only to realize we've spent so much time in the pursuit of things that were not truly meaningful. Oh, how we need a dawn experience like the women at the tomb. Whether that light of truth comes to us like a spotlight in a moment coming on as it did when the two men appeared to the women, or whether it comes on like a bulb gradually warming up in an old stereo as it did for Peter. May our light go on. May we say, I choose Christ. I choose His way of living. I choose to wage war against the death and the evil and the injustice of the world by love. By the self-giving love 
of a Savior named Jesus Christ. Christ bids us to stop clinging to our spices of death, to lay them down, to come and see that He is not there in meaningless futility. He's come to give you an expansive life, a life more abundant and free, a life of hope and new beginnings. Why should we even expect the world to give us an expansive life? Why look for the living among the dead? Come and see. He is not here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. May we go and tell. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, for another Easter to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise. Draw us into your love. Fill our mouths and our hearts with the witness of Jesus Christ. Draw us into meaningfulness and give us the expansive life you have for us. Make us your ambassadors. Make us your witnesses. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.